Fear of Failure, Podcast 42, Cowboys Ride the Iron Horse, is a roller coaster chapter taking place on a snowbound train trying to get to Reno, Nevada. Never let you lose your play. Now 
Chapter 52 Cowboys Ride the Iron Horse I continued attending classes and seminars at the Botanical Gardens. Most of the time, Susan continued to meet up with me. In July 1997, I signed up for a three-day course titled Water in the California Garden. After two days of lectures, we spent the last day touring ponds and water features in Santa Barbara and Montecito. My head was filled with new possibilities to finish off the dry, sandy, sunny space behind the hot tub patio. I wanted to build a pond with decking around it, and to make it look more realistic, I designed the edges of the deck to overlap most of the rubber coating where it came out of the water. In areas where the pond liner was exposed, I made sure plant groups would hide these areas. I found more time to be at home, taking Adam and Abby out on two horses Sarah left me, Casey and Candy Bar. I put Adam on Casey, and Abby was seated in front of me on Candy Bar. Casey was a little off in the head, but Adam loved him. Casey always walked down the road sideways when I rode him, but he seemed to accept Adam better because Casey always walked straight ahead with Adam on his back. Still, Casey was a bit recalcitrant to Adam's cues. On one trip, we walked over to Antonio's house to show Tony how his five-year-old godson was becoming a cowboy. Tony was saddling his horse, and when he was ready, we rode off toward the lake. Adam was leading, and I told him to turn right into a clearing near the water. Casey kept going in spite of Adam's hard pull on the reins, as well as repeated calls of woe. The horse continued walking straight through overhanging willow trees at the edge of the stream. Adam managed to stay on by folding himself backward over the saddle, lying flat on Casey's back. I thought he did a great job saving himself that way, but it scared him. He was shaken up and crying. We dismounted and regrouped. I switched the headsets on the two horses, replacing Casey's softer snaffle bit with Candy Bar's harsher curb bit. I wanted Adam to have more leverage against his obstinate horse. A snaffle bit is hinged in the middle of the mouth and is not as painful to the horse when the rider suddenly jerks a rein to one side. A curb bit has a solid piece of metal going through the horse's mouth and in the center of the bit, the metal is molded into an upward U. This creates more leverage when the rider pulls on the rein to one side, but should be used by experienced riders with a light touch. I felt Casey needed to pay more attention to the rider, and a curb bit would be more likely to refocus his attention when Adam tugged the reins. But the real problem was my fault. I asked Casey to take the lead, and he wasn't that type of horse. Casey was too insecure to be a leader. That's why he walked sideways for me, even though I was the dominant rider. Whenever I ride, I usually push into first place, but Casey never felt right about it, and that's why he squirreled sideways when I rode him. As the lead horse, with Adam on his back, he did whatever he wanted. Barb had been working for me a couple of years, and we became close friends because we had shared interests. We liked veterinary medicine, we loved horses, and we very much appreciated drinking wine as soon as work was over. Barb and Earl decided to marry, and they invited my family to attend their wedding in Reno, Nevada. They planned to take the train from Sacramento east into the Sierras through Donner Pass, finally descending into Reno. A train ride over the Sierras intrigued me. I was excited to take the train for the entire trip. We'd board in Paso, spending the day riding up to Sacramento, stay overnight in Old Sac, 
and then meet up with the wedding party. The rails retrace the Donner Party pathway in the opposite direction. While Barb and the wedding entourage were driving cars to a hotel in Sacramento, Mary and I assembled our family at the Amtrak station in Paso Robles, prepping to board the northbound train at 3.30 p.m. The train was late. Soon it was 4, then 4.30, and still the train had not arrived. We wandered around the small train station until just after 7 p.m. When I ordered the train tickets, I expected to be in Sacramento about 8.30 p.m., which allowed time to show Mary and the kids parts of Sacramento I had enjoyed during vet school. A major attraction there is the historic part called Old Sac, a landmark replication of the town the way it was in the late 1800s. It's fun to walk along the levee walls and see how these structures kept the water of the rivers out of town. Horses pull carriages down cobblestone streets alongside cars. The sidewalks are wooden and raised above road level. There is a beautiful train museum and many restaurants, unique bars, as well as boutiques and candy shops. Permanently moored on the riverside of the dike is a hotel restaurant called the Delta King. South of the vessel there is a car bridge crossing the Sacramento River, which rises if a large boat is coming through, stopping cars with a flashing red light and crossing gate. The entire deck then begins a slow upward progression until it is high above the street, offering the ship passage. To the north, one can hear the trains as they cross the river on another bridge. This railroad bridge also needs to allow a way for large boats to continue their journey, and does this by rotating on a center pivot. Reserving a room for the night on the ship, I was hoping to share the experience of the Delta King and Old Sack with Mary and the kids. However, because of countless delays, we did not arrive in Sacramento until 3 in the morning. We left the train and hailed a taxi, which drove us about a half mile to the Delta King. We slept in our shipboard room, but only for a few hours. We returned to the Sacramento station less than four hours later to board the eastbound Amtrak to Reno. We were to meet Barb, Earl, Jamie, and David on the train. I stored my luggage, found a set of seats and coach for the entire family, and settled in for another day on the rails. I want to find the others, I decided. Did you want to come? I asked Mary. She declined, staying to watch over the kids. Without such childcare worries, I hurried off to the observation car, the place where the parties happen. The red-colored hills outside Sacramento began showing patches of white as the train climbed in altitude. Soon, the rain showers became snow flurries. A massive snowstorm had been dumping on the hills all evening, all week in fact, and the train was heading directly into the thick snowpack. Hey Janie, Barb, I walked into the observation car and found the girls in swivel seats, sitting with their feet on the window sill, watching the snowflakes. Where's Earl? I asked Barb. He's downstairs with David. They're playing cards, she replied. Dropping down the stairs to the snack level, I found them at the booth farthest away from the snack bar, sipping clandestine gin and tonics while they play cards. I thought Uncle Dale was coming, Earl, I questioned him, because I didn't see the rest of the wedding party. He's driving up with Richard and Fred, Earl replied. They invited me to play a game with them, but I declined and returned to Barb and Janie. The Sacramento-Reno train is called the party train, bringing people from California over the hill to the biggest little city in the world for whoring and gambling. Barb and Janie befriended two other ladies and were now engaged in earnest conversation. Barb was telling her new friends that Mary McGregor was singing at her wedding tomorrow night in Reno. I loved Barb dearly. I'd had many unique times with her, 
or because of her. But it was time for me to slink away, before she noticed Mary McGregor's husband was near. I knew I would become caught up in her next bright idea if I didn't disappear. Mary disliked and mistrusted Barb, the way she acted like an evil big sister. She was continually egging me on to find the next cool thing to do, which usually wasn't condoned by grown-ups. Likely it infuriated Mary that I subscribed to this nitwit fantasy, as though we could all go back to acting like we were 20 years ago, regardless of consequences. I was torn, feeling I needed to spend time with Mary, but she kept the kids out of the party car. She was sitting in the dull spot. She was such a good sport on that trip, trying hard to accommodate my wishes. She never wanted to go to begin with. It was a favor Barb begged her to do. So I sat down next to my wife and family to act like a grown-up. But that didn't last long. Suddenly the train slowed down and stopped. The lights went off. It was still and dark, even though it was daytime. There was a different color coming through the windows. Unlike natural sunlight, it was white, filtered. Squinching my face against the window, I could see the blue sky up top. We're in a snow tunnel, I exclaimed, realizing this was way too exciting to wait around in the coach. I'll be right back, I promised. I met a conductor on my way between the cars. He said a brake line ruptured and they had to shut down the electrical system. He told me not to open any windows or doors and not to use the bathrooms because the toilets need electrical power to operate. Okay, I'll let my friends know, I replied. I didn't recognize anyone in observation, so I dropped down to the card game. The cafe was closed, which was a good thing because it was chaotic down there. Most of the cafe car's windows were slid open, and Earl and David were having a snow fight with the others at the far end. The curious thing about these snow tunnels is how close the snowbank is, probably ten inches away from the open window. It was incredible. You could reach out of the window to scoop up a handful of snow. When Earl realized we were stuck close to Donner Pass, he hollered out for everyone to be careful. We could be eaten. But he wasn't done. I have to pee, he said, walking towards the stairs. It's off limits. The conductor told me the toilets don't work. Oh, okay. I'll pee out the window. But lucky for us, we were spared the scene because the lights came back on and the train lurched forward. We arrived in Reno the late afternoon. The men gathered their belongings and stumbled off the train. The women gathered up children and any stuff the men left behind. We walked the three blocks to the seedy motel Barb reserved for us. It was a single level in the form of a U, with a parking lot in the center. I went into the office for a key, came out, opened the door, and let my family into one of the seediest places I have ever seen. Made in the 1960s, it hadn't changed since, and it stunk of cigarette smoke. Mary told me not to let the kids sit on the carpet. The room was freezing, so I turned on the wall heater. It sounded like a jet engine revving up for a flight. Because of the party train, I had no problem lying down and falling asleep. But Mary was uncomfortable and fitful throughout the night. Somehow, we survived it and spent a long time at breakfast before bringing the kids back to the room. Repeating the train ride ritual, Mary read a book and watched the kids, while I wandered Reno with my friends. The party doubled to eight when the carload made it through a briefly closed Highway 80. The wedding went just as Barb planned. Her pleasant, inebriated smile appeared in the pictures and video. It was a good day for her. Determined to do it right, she ordered a limo to the motel to pick her up after she dressed in her gown. The rest of the party, including Mary and the kids, walked four blocks to the chapel. 
Just like at my wedding, there was some misunderstanding about who the best man was. Uncle Dale was scheduled to be the best man, but for some reason, Richard jumped in to take his place. I had no clue about that. Mary sang a lovely song, and vows were recited, the rings exchanged, and then the wedding was over. The kids became bored, so Mary took them to the motel as soon as she finished singing. The other men in the party went straight back to the casinos. Now it was just Earl, Barb, and myself. Barb invited me into the limo. I looked at Earl, and he didn't give a shit. So the three of us drove around a while in downtown Reno. Barb and Earl were enjoying their first days of matrimony together, while Mary and I were growing further apart. End of chapter.
Thank you for listening. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.